<laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. What a blessing. What a blessing. Can you hear me wheeling? Okay, good. <laughs> Have to check on my special mic here. <laughs> so, what a day. What a day, really. You know, why are we here? We see the sun shining, right? So can we shine for Jesus? Can we? That's what we're going to try to see if we can do today. Shine for Jesus. As we go in on in our uh, study and talking about Acts, we're going to look at uh, Acts 6. Kind of go back one verse from what Scott did last week and go 7 through 15. We'll finish that up. So, okay, it's all quiet. Good morning, right? Okay, all right. You're awake. All right, good. <laughs> yeah, I, you guys all heard of Mad, Matt Redman, right? Okay. He, he's a well-known Christian writer of music. And shortly after the, that devastating terror attack on September 11th of 2001, remember that one, don't we? Matt and his wife Beth co-wrote a worship song called Blessed Be Your Name. On 9-11, Matt and Beth were both here in the U.S. on a sabbatical from their homeland in Britain. And they wrote the song to help inspire worship in that dark and tragic time in our lives there. The Redmonds found their inspiration in the words of Job, who continued to worship God in the face of devastating loss. We all have heard the story of Job many times, haven't we? I mean, in Job 121, this grieving father said, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? Mm. Blessed be your name became one of the Redmond's most popular songs. And it opens with these words. It goes like this. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Talk about shining for Jesus, I tell you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, seeking you, Father, in every way, may we shine for you, Father, as we see your light. May that light shine through us, Lord. Help us, Father, to... to Follow you in every way. May we be committed to you above everything else, Lord. Because that's where true joy, true hope, and true eternal happiness can be found. Bless this time now and bless your words. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So church, in these times of darkness, even though it's sunshine and out there, we see a lot of darkness, don't we? Well, let me tell you, our Lord Jesus Christ is still shining. He is. And we can shine for him too. So how, how can we do that? 
How can we do that? Well, as we go on in uh, Acts here, Stephen kind of shows us in this scripture how to do that. You see, first, we have to seek to be full of faith. And Stephen was full of faith, wasn't he? He really was. And, and we see this great quality in him in verses 7 and 8 where we hear this, that the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wow. Okay. So how did Stephen get so full of this faith anyway? Well, came from eating the right food, I guess, right? <laughs> you know, we see this kind of food in verse 7. It was the word of God. And friends, the only way we can ever be full of faith is by taking in this one-of-a-kind spiritual food. Remember that. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's true eternal food. You know, there Christ quoted something he, he actually told Moses 1,400 years before the Lord came to the earth. The scriptures found in Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. And Moses said this to the children of Israel when he came down. He said, you shall, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Hmm. Ever tied those two together? <laughs> you see, my friends, God wants us to know that, that we have a lifetime supply of faith-building food Right there in the Bible. It's right there. And that, that's why in 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3, um, says, he said, Paul says this to the Christians. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice and guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies, desired pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The only real food for Stephen's faith and our faith together is the Word of God, friends. And Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I think it's made pretty clear there. Uh, many of you have heard of Ray Steadman. He suggested a little exercise with God's Word to help build our faith. Ray said, if you want a wonderful experience then take your Bible and use a concordance to look up the two little words, but God. See how many times human resources have been brought to an utter end and despair has gripped the heart and pessimism and gloom and settled in on the people. And, and there's nothing that can be done. 
And then see how the Spirit of God writes in bright, shining letters, but God. And the whole situation changes. I, I tried this a little bit. And here's some of them. In Acts 7, 9, and 10, Stephen said, the, the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made, his governor, made him governor over Egypt and all his house. But God was with him. <laughs> Acts 13, 28 and 30, Paul was preaching and said this about Jesus. Though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul said, No temptations has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your, what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you've been able to bear it. One more. Ephesians 2, 3, and 6 says, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he, for which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There's so many, a lot of other examples I know that we could go to, but it reminds us that we have this lifetime supply of faith-building food right inside the scripture that we have. That is the food of Stephen's faith. And we see some of this fruit in verse 8 where Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. God sent those signs and wonders in the early church to miraculously confirm that good news that he was giving about Jesus. It was a special demonstration of God's power for people to see. But you know what? Our God is still a miracle working God, isn't he? He still is. And remember that all things are possible with him. All things. We hear so many times, you know, we were talking about discipleship this morning. Well, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> All things are possible. You have to believe that and trust it. You know, we see more of uh, faith's fruit back in verse 7, and, and this fruit is all applicable to today. And, and what, but what about God giving us the power to do great signs and wonders? And friends, God can do that. He can, if he wants, and he has a purpose. And it serves his purpose. Don't think he can't. But he certainly wants to do what we see in verse 7, where the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Disciple-making playbook. That's what we're going through, friends. They were multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You see, 
Jesus Christ surely wants the word of God to spread today everywhere. He wants it to spread. And he wants to multiply the number of disciples. He surely wants people to be obedient to the faith. And not just get comfortable and coming to church and going, okay, I can check the box now. I went to church. We got to get comfortable in doing, not just thinking and sitting. All of those Jewish priests who got saved remind us that some of the people who are least likely to be saved can and will be saved. And why? <laughs> because God is at work in this world. He is at work right now. John Phillips explained that it's no wonder the priests came to the faith. He says they, more than anybody else, those priests knew, you know, what that the old-fashioned Judaism of which they were most visible, you know, and their representatives, they knew it was finished. Something new was happening. There'd been a day not long before when some of them had gone into the temple as usual to trim the lamps and, uh, and, and the holy place, and they'd been stopped cold in their tracks. Just a few days ago. Why? <laughs> well, the temple veil had been torn in two. From top to bottom. And, and, and no human hand had ever done that. The veil was thick. veil was as thick as a man's hand. It was thick. And besides, no Jew would have dared commit such sacrilege. But the awesome fact was, the evidence was there. The veil was torn. It was there, and they saw it. And for the first time, those priests could look beyond that golden altar into the holiest of all and see the sacred ark with the outspread wings of the cherubim. They could see where generation after generation, the high priest of the day of atonement had sprinkled the blood on the altar. They stood there, and they stared at it. The priests compared notes, and the tearing of the veil had happened the very moment that Jesus of Nazareth had died. For a while they resisted the irrefutable evidence of the collapse of Judaism, but now a great company of them became obedient to this new faith. Friends, God wants many more people to come to faith today. Right now, even people that seem the least likely that we can see to trust in Jesus. That's why God wants us to shine for Jesus. That's how others are going to see it and know it. So again, how can we do that? How can we? Well, we have to be, first of all, full of faith. And then we have to seek to have words of wisdom. Words of wisdom in all that we say and then what we do. Not just off-the-cuff kind of things. God wants us to speak with words of wisdom. And this is his message for us in verses 9 through 11, where it says, Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. 
And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. You see, <laughs> and I know most of you know that Satan always opposes spiritual truth, doesn't he? Hmm. And, and he will pull every trick in the book to, to outdo it. But when these men were disputing with Stephen, and verse 10 tells us they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Hmm. You see, Stephen had great wisdom. And we can get the same kind of wisdom from God. We can. James 1.5 tells us, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He's not talking about new Cadillacs or anything else. He's talking about wisdom, being smart about these things. Friends, God will give us wisdom in every situation that we may face in this life. Everyone. All we have to do is ask him in faith, true, trusting faith. Believing that he will give us the wisdom that we need to get through what we're doing. So how can we shine for Jesus? Seek to have the words of wisdom and then seek faithfulness over fairness in our life. Now, that can be kind of hard, can it? it? Gets uncomfortable here. Well, church, you know, we have to realize that great faith doesn't guarantee us fair treatment in this life and this world. It doesn't. And we see this truth in verse 12 through 14 where they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses to, who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him and say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Those hard-hearted unbelievers couldn't stand up to Stephen's wisdom and, and gospel truth. They couldn't stand up to it. So they cooked up this big lie. We've seen that a few times, haven't we? We all know that the devil never fights fair. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised when it's not fair. We shouldn't be surprised. There's a false teaching very popular today that says, if, if you belong to God, or if you have enough faith, you're going to be healthy, rich, and successful. <laughs> but here in Acts 6, Stephen is about to be stoned to death. What's the matter, Stephen? You know, maybe you just need a little more faith, right? Huh. And all this trouble will disappear. Just get a little more faith. <laughs> no. Let me tell you, friends, godly living does not guarantee earthly success. But it guarantees you eternal success. That's what matters. We saw that Stephen had more than enough faith. He was full of faith. <laughs> but in verse 3 also shows us that Stephen was full of wisdom. And, and he was wise enough to, to know that godly living does not guarantee earthly success. So 
When he found himself in this terrible situation, Stephen, Stephen didn't whine or complain. Oh, man, God, why did you do this? This isn't fair, God. What are you doing? He didn't try to weasel himself out of the trouble. No. Stephen's clo- cho- Stephen chose faithfulness over fairness. He stayed faithful, even in the struggle. And that's what God wants us to do, friends. He wants us to stay faithful no matter what we're going through. We've been blessed beyond measure, friends. We have. But we must always, not always expect good times from godly living. That's not what it's about. We must measure our progress from a heavenly point of view, not from what this earth is doing for us. In May of 2003, the IMB, the International Mission Board, reported the story of a believer from India called Adam. <laughs> In his Hindu village, people were amazingly against the gospel. One day, Adam's older brother and his wife became the first believers in their village. At that time, Adam, he just wasn't quite ready or willing to follow the Lord yet. But he could see how Jesus had changed the lives of his brother and sister-in-law. They began to share the gospel with other villagers, but nobody wanted to listen to them. (laughs) But something interesting began to happening. (laughs) Every time the Hindus beat Adam's brother because of him sharing the gospel, someone in the crowd became a believer. (laughs) Interesting. Eventually, Adam himself believed in Christ, and he began suffering the same persecution as his brother. One day, the unbelieving villagers surrounded Adam and his brother and the small group of new Christians. And enraged, they prepared a huge pot of boiling water (laughs) and were getting ready to boil these Christians alive. Yeah. But then one of the Hindus calmed the mob and said, we've seen what's going on. If we do this, even more are going to become Christians. (laughs) So they agreed to just beat the believers again. But again, more people were saved. And at the time of the report that they had made, the church of that village was over 35 families. Not just 35 people, but 35 families. You see, getting beat up wasn't plan A by any choice for Adam or his brother. But God turned that trial into triumph because somebody shined for Jesus. Yeah. Again, How can we shine for Jesus? We have to seek faithfulness over fairness and seek a radiant relationship with Jesus Christ. We can see Stephen shine, can't we, in verse 15. All who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Wow. Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Wow. Someone once said, having heard the indictment, the Sanhedrin probably turned to see Stephen was re- how he was reacting to that, those deadly charges. And they saw the face of an angel. That would be scary, wouldn't it? But it would also be joyful, <laughs> depending on where you're at there. Just as the face of Moses had shone with light of another world, when he came down from the mount... So the face of Stephen now shone. It was not hate that they saw there, not at all, 
nor horror, but heaven. They saw heaven. Stephen's face was miraculous reflection of his relationship with Jesus Christ. As he stood before the high court, Stephen seemed to be alone, but he wasn't alone. Friends, you're not alone. You're not alone, no matter what you're going through. God was surely there with Stephen, and he has promised to be there with us through every trial and tribulation that we may go through. Every one. But we need to seek his face. We do. We need to seek an ever closer relationship with the almighty God, friends. James 4.8 promises us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. God doesn't break his promises. And people may not see the light shining in our faces like, like Stephen, but they will see it shining in our lives. They will. God will flood our hearts with his light, the light of his love. And we know that this is true because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We know this. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I've heard this so many times where you refer back to Genesis where he's doing the creation. And the first day there's light. But it isn't until the fourth day he creates the sun and the moon, stars. The light is Jesus. Right there. My friends, in this dark world that we are living in right now, we need to shine for Jesus. We need to be there for him. So, seek to be full of faith, friends. Seek to be full of faith. Seek words of wisdom. Seek him for the wisdom you need. Seek faithfulness over fairness. Be faithful no matter what. And seek a radiant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing better. Nothing. Absolutely. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And will you please pray for me with these things as we go to God in prayer. Father, we come before you. May your light shine in this place, in our lives, in this community, and around, Father, everywhere. Everywhere we go, Lord, may others see and engage your light, Father, because you are there. May we have your wisdom. May we seek your relationship. May we seek to be full of your faith, Father, and trust in you for everything. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do, for giving us the food of your word, Lord, to fill us and to build us, Father to the life that you created us for.
As we go forward, Lord, to your table this day, may you bless this time. May you bless the hearts that are here, Lord, that they will seek you to shine and know and commit to the covenants that you have made with us through this. Bless these emblems and bless this time, Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.